You're listening to the Paleo NP podcast, episode number 27. Welcome to the Paleo NP podcast. I'm Martha, a family nurse practitioner and creator of MarthaFlorence.com. I live in Anchorage, Alaska with my boyfriend and fur children. I'm here to share my take on integrative health, nutrition, and fitness, answer your questions, and talk with health and wellness experts. You can submit your questions at MarthaFlorence.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Remember that the materials and content within this podcast are intended as general information only and are not to be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to another episode of the Paleo NP podcast. This week, I am so excited to be joined by a guest. I have got Melissa Groves of Avocado Grove Nutrition on the show with me today, and I'm going to let her introduce herself in just a minute. Melissa is another one of my I've never met in real life friends, but we're friends from Instagram, (laughs) which I seem to have a lot of these days, which is fine. And just to break the ice, I'm going to put Melissa on the spot and have her tell us something new she's into but I'm going to go first because I didn't tell her I was going to ask her this and I haven't done this for a few weeks. So, um, and just to clarify the rules, it doesn't have to be something that's actually new, just something that's new to you or that you've started doing again. So I'll go first just so you have a minute to think. So something new that I'm into this week is my TENS machine, which if you don't know what that is, it stands for transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. And it's used a lot for pain management, but you can also use it, I guess, to build muscle. There are some people out there that sell a unit that's really good for building muscle, like passively. I don't know how that works necessarily, but it definitely sounds like electroshock therapy, which it's nothing like that. It's just got a couple of sticky pads that you put on your body, depending on where you're having pain. And then they attach to a little unit and you can adjust the strength of the signal and it just stimulates the nerves and makes your muscles contract very gently. I got it a couple of days ago, um, and it came at the exact right time because I'm recovering from running a marathon last weekend, and my body is pretty angry at me, so I've been using it a lot, and it's been really great. I'll be sure to link to a couple of models that I've heard good things about in the show notes. Um, I don't think you can get the one that I have on Amazon, but there are plenty of other great options. And it's actually really great to have around if you're an athlete or if you suffer from any kind of chronic pain. Um, it's, it just helps reduce that without medication. And it doesn't hurt. It sounds like it hurts, but it doesn't hurt. It's just like a weird little tapping inside of your muscles. Although when I first put it on, I got a giant cramp because I used it on a spot that was really cranky. So lesson learned. Um, so Lessa, what's something new that you're into this week? All right. So something that I just started doing a couple of months ago that I'm really excited about is a friend gave me a SCOBY. So yeah, so I started brewing my own kombucha. So I'm on my fourth batch now and I've been exploring different flavors, um, different fruits and teas and things like that. And so far I have to say my favorite is using strawberry scraps and ginger. I just cut off the little tops from the strawberries and freeze them. And then I just use that to flavor the kombucha. So like tasty and getting rid of food waste at the same time, which I love. That's awesome. After I saw you post that on Instagram, I now have a plastic baggie in my freezer full of strawberry tops because it's strawberry season. So I'm really excited about that. I have been making my own kombucha for a while and I love it. I've been using, there's this stuff that we got in Hawaii that I can get locally. I'm sure other, it's in grocery stores. Um, It's called Hawaiian ginger aid. So it's like lemonade and ginger. Um, I've been using that to flavor my kombucha and it's delicious. 
but I'm ready Yum. to try strawberries. Yum. Yeah, I would do ginger and strawberries together. Yeah, Yum. totally. All right. So now that we've broken the ice, <laughs> why don't you <laughs> give us your official introduction and tell us a little bit about yourself, your business, and what you're all about. All right. Hi, I'm Melissa, and I live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire with my boyfriend and my fur children. <laughs> you could tell I listened to the show. So um, first, I just want to thank you for having me on your podcast. You were one of the first Instagram friends I made, and I just awesome. felt an in instant connection with. I love your podcast and how you dig into the geeky science, um, but I also really love how real you are and how you tell it like it is. You are totally a sister from another mister. <laughs> so anyway, I own Avocado Grove Nutrition and Wellness in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, right on the seacoast. I'm a functional medicine dietitian and I help women who are experiencing hormone imbalances, PCOS, and infertility balance their hormones naturally and lose weight without dieting. I also work with women who are struggling with adrenal and thyroid issues, so I know we have a lot of overlap there. Um, I do see clients virtually throughout the country. I opened my business in January of 2018, so this is still new. Um, this is actually a second career for me. I got my first degree in English and dance, and I worked for over 15 years as a copywriter in New York City pharmaceutical advertising. I launched billion-dollar oncology brands. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, so a little bit different. Yeah. Um, I started becoming interested in nutrition while I was in college. Um, you know, I was majoring in dance and I definitely had a pretty disordered eating pattern. Um, and surprisingly, we didn't get any nutrition education as dance majors. Uh, we had one class of a kinesiology class I was in where a professor lectured us on nutrition. Um, and I stayed after to talk to her and she recommended the book, A Diet for a Small Planet. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of my, my nutrition journey. Um, I figured that going vegetarian had to be better than what I was currently doing, which was living on coffee and egg whites um, and, you know, fat-free yogurt and the like. Um, and then, so I graduated, I got the job in advertising, but I was always still interested in nutrition. Um, and I found the Institute for Integrative Nutrition back in 2000. And at that point, it was still a brick and mortar school in New York City, and there were 40 of us in a classroom together. Um, so I'm actually a certified health coach, but after that program, I did not feel qualified to do anything in the world of nutrition. Um, that's a story for another time. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> um, I kept working in advertising and I rose all the way up to a vice president, associate creative director in my 30s. Um, I was not happy and my health was suffering. Um, I was working 90 hour weeks. I was traveling all the time. I was just miserable. And at that point I was living on coffee and red wine. Um, <laughs> and I ran the New York City Marathon in 2008. Um, and I, I had qualified to run the next two years as well, um, but I ended up having to bail on it because I, I just didn't have the time to train properly, and I didn't want to run it again just to run it. I wanted to improve over my last time. Um, 
So fast forward and I'm sitting in my Brooklyn living room and I literally had one of those duh moments where I'm just like staring at my four bookshelves filled with books about nutrition and food politics and cookbooks. And I was like, okay, I wonder how long this would take to actually become a nutritionist. Um, so long story short, I started taking all the prereqs while I was still living in New York. Um, and then I ended up moving up to New Hampshire to complete a second bachelor's degree in nutrition. Um, and then I got matched to an internship at UNH also. Um, you actually have to complete a one-year unpaid internship to become an RD. It's a little different than the way that nursing programs are in that the practicum is built into the schooling. It's totally separate process and less than 50% of graduates get matched to a, di to a dietetic internship. So, um, so that's my story. That's so crazy. I feel like it should be, it should be part of it. You know, like you're working so hard to graduate these schools of, of people or, you know, these classes of people who have this great education and then that's it. You don't go on to do anything with it. Yeah, you know, you know what kind of job you can get without an RD? Not, yeah. not one. No. Not a good one. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm like currently making about a third of what I was making in advertising. Um, but happiness wise, I'm just, you know, 100 times happier. Yeah, I feel you on that. Um, you work mainly with people who have, with women who suffer from PCOS, infertility, and other hormone imbalances. Can you tell us what PCOS is for those people who may not be familiar? Yeah, sure. So PCOS is a complicated metabolic syndrome. Um, it stands for polycystic ovary syndrome, um, which is kind of a misnomer. Um, not all women with PCOS have cysts in their ovaries. I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, but it's really, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of complex hormones at play and basically everything's kind of going wrong. Um, so when I first became an RD, I started working in a local functional medicine private practice, and I was given all of the clients who came in for weight loss. And I started to see patterns. So nearly all of the women who came in had an underlying reason why they couldn't lose weight. They had hormone issues such as PCOS, they had insulin resistance, they had elevated cortisol, they had hypothyroid or a combination of several of those that were preventing them from being able to lose weight. So it wasn't just a matter of, you know, eat less, exercise more. It wasn't working. And additionally, um, most of them had a history of dieting, binge eating, over-exercising, and it just wasn't working. Um, so when I opened my practice, I decided to focus on helping these women with a functional medicine, non-diet approach. So I still do get a lot of calls from women who are looking to lose weight. And I'm like, let me talk to you more about that. <laughs> right. It's not, it's usually not that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So how would someone know that it might be time to start looking into something like a P like PCOS as a diagnosis? Because I feel like a lot of times people who don't feel great get on the internet, myself included, start looking for answers. And it seems like every disease or condition that you read about applies to you. So like you read this list of symptoms and you're like, hey, that's me. And then you read a list of symptoms for something else and you're like, no, wait, that's me. But I feel like, so I feel like it can get really confusing really fast. And people are kind of, they, I know they come to me and they're like, I feel terrible. 
I don't know what to do. I think I have all of these things and I'm sure you get something similar, but how, how do you know that it's time to start going down that road of PCOS? Well, funny thing, Martha. <laughs> um, so I actually don't have PCOS myself, but I had totally pegged myself as having PCOS based on the symptoms. It's like, you know, I've always had hormonal issues. I knew I felt better when I was on the pill, which I went on when I was 18. And anytime I tried to stop it, I would literally just lie on the couch with a bottle of wine and not want to see anyone for two weeks out of every month. Um, you know, I definitely had other hormonal issues as well. Um, so I think, you know, if you're questioning whether you might have some of the symptoms, um, you know, things like irregular periods, um, things like cyclical acne or really bad PMS, um, things like signs of elevated androgen hormones, which are your male hormones. So that would be things like having facial hair or the acne or losing hair on your head. Um, if you're having trouble getting pregnant, you know, that's definitely a time to, to get tested. So, you know, I'm definitely a testament to the whole test don't guess. Um, <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. You know, I've, I've got some hormonal irregularities, but they're not PCOS. Um, so, you know, the PCOS is actually diagnosed by what's called the Rotterdam criteria right now. And, you know, they're still trying to figure out if this is the best criteria or if you know, PCOS is even the right name for the syndrome. But currently to be diagnosed, you have to have two of the following three. So either one cystic ovaries, which you see on an ultrasound, and that's a transvaginal ultrasound, not the kind that they look at through your stomach. It's um, the kind that uses the wand, Wanda, as my fertility friends like to call it. <laughs> I like um, that. Or dildo cam, you know, whichever. whichever, whichever. <laughs> Both of those whichever. are great. I'm going I'm to adopt that terminology. Yeah. Um, the second one is the irregular or absent either ovulation or menstrual cycles. And then the third one is the elevated levels of andro androgen hormones, which are either measured by a lab test or as demonstrated by the symptoms that I described before. And I, I regular listeners of this show know that I think that when you're dealing with something potentially complex, especially things that involve hormones, like something like PCOS, any fertility issues, issues with your menstrual cycle, thyroid problems, or really anything else, that it's important to get the help of a practitioner. Um, whether it's someone like myself who practices functional medicine or someone like Melissa, who's a dietitian with a more in integrative, um, holistic approach, I just think that it's so important to get guidance because you can get pretty far in the weeds and not necessarily do, I mean, you can, you can do more harm than good very quickly, but I think that you spend a lot of time when you're trying to work on these things by yourself, looking up information on the internet, which is a great resource. You sometimes can just not go down the right track and end up just wasting time, wasting money. You know, I have my whole uh, adrenal fatigue um, series, which turned into way more podcasts than I ever intended for it to, was kind of a testament to that, just that like people, people think that adrenal fatigue is so simple and you just do, you know, you take these supplements and you'll feel better, but that's really, there's more to it. So I think um, just for any listeners who might be like, oh, that's me, I'm going to fix all the things. I, I think we both feel very strongly about working with somebody just to get that kind of outside perspective because it's really hard to be objective with your own health. 
Okay. Any I, healthcare practitioner will tell you with themselves. Yeah, and there's so much um, dangerous advice out there. Um, you know, I, I belong to a lot of Facebook boards, um, groups on PCOS and fertility, and people just sort of willy-nilly recommending supplements to each other like, this worked for me and this worked for me. And um, it's really dangerous, especially the ones that that affect your hormones. Um, you know, I've seen on a lot of fertility boards, like just take DHEA for your egg quality and like really high doses that, yeah. that book, um, it starts with the egg actually recommends 75 milligrams of DHEA to wow. improve egg quality. And I don't know if you've ever taken DHEA yourself, but, um, five milligrams That's is enough to make me crazy and anxious that's yeah. exactly what I took. I took five milligrams. It was for an adrenal fatigue, which, you know, knowing what I know now, it was, that was probably the wrong course of action. But I went to see a practitioner, a local practitioner who was at a, a kind of more of a naturopathic clinic. And she's like, here, take these things. You know, you have adrenal fatigue because I had a reactivated mono infection. She's like, here, you have adrenal yeah. fatigue. These are the things you need to take. Um, but doing more of my own research years later, I've realized that DHEA, like it'll make you feel good for a minute. Like if you're really exhausted, it makes you feel good, but it doesn't help anything unless you have low DHEA, right? Like yeah. it's not solving the problem it, because you don't know what the problem is. Exactly. So I always recommend testing. I know you're a big fan of the Dutch yeah. test as yeah. well. Um, you know, if I can get genetic testing on a client too, um, I actually usually recommend they just get 23andMe, like the mm -hmm. cheapest one, mm -hmm. and down, download the raw data, and then I run it through my databases. <laughs> um, but you're able to get so much good information. Like, you know, for example, my Dutch test showed that I had um, poor estrogen detox, um, which I know is because of my genetics. It's because I have, you know, heterozygous MTHFR gene, and I'm also homozygous for COMPT. So my detox pathways are just crap. Um, <laughs> so seeing the Dutch test results made so much sense in light of that. Um, but really, um, you know, when you're talking about supplements for things like PCOS and fertility, there really is no one size fits all. And you really do have to work with a pr practitioner to, to nail down what's right for you. Absolutely. And, and then also, you know, listen to your own body. Just because a practitioner recommends it doesn't mean it works for you. Absolutely. Everybody's body is different. So what other things might people look for if they're struggling to get pregnant or even just struggling to have a regular, <clears throat> excuse me, menstrual cycle? Because unfortunately for us ladies, um, hormones are complicated and there's a lot of places where things can go wrong and some of that stuff can be really challenging. I, I'm, I know Dutch testing is a great place to start, but if that's not something that somebody can do um, or their provider isn't really willing to do it, what else could people kind of look for? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, you know, PCOS is the number one cause of infertility. So you definitely want to be seen by a doctor and get that ruled out um, to make sure that that's not the case. Um, the other real biggie in fertility is thyroid. Um, thyroid health is just crucial to pregnancy. And the optimal level for of TSH for pregnancy, even in the conventional medical community, is 2.5. Um, so when I had mine measured the last time, um, you know, this time last year, it was like 3.2 and nobody ever said anything to me that that might not be normal. Um, 
so you want to work with a doctor who who really understands that. And I'm fortunate enough to have a naturopath now who, you know, understands that not everybody feels optimal at 3.2. So you want to make sure to get the full thyroid panel with the TSH, the T3, T4, reverse T3, and antibodies um, to make sure, you know, just see what's going on with your thyroid. Um, and you also really need to get familiar with your menstrual cycle. Um, you know, even if you're not trying to get pregnant, um, the menstrual cycle is a vital sign. It's considered, you know, it's sort of the canary in the coal mine um, because all of your hormonal systems systems are connected. Um, if one thing's not working, um, usually reproduction's the first thing to go. You know, if you're not ovulating or cycling regularly, it's a sign that something else is going wrong in either the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. So when one of those is off, chances are they all are off. Um, I know you talk a lot about cortisol and coming across the bear in the woods. And if your body is always amped for running away from a bear in the woods, then it's not going to prioritize reproduction and it's going to ramp down those sex hormones. Yeah, that's really important. Um, and kind of shifting gears a little bit here, but along the same lines, um, talking about fertility in the context of health and not necessarily just for having babies. Because as you said, your menstrual cycle is kind of the canary in the coal mine. But there are some of us who aren't necessarily interested in having babies anytime soon or ever. Um, and it can be really difficult to wrap your head around the idea that fertility is actually a good marker of health. Because like you said, your body doesn't prioritize that when there are other things going on. But, but kind of... Um, do you have any thoughts on how, on how that those two things can go together without being like, hey, I'm trying to get pregnant? Yeah. So here's where I say that you absolutely have a choice in how to protect yourself from unintended pregnancy. And I know I have clients who have no intention of ever getting pregnant and they're like, why don't I just go on the pill from now on till forever? Um, doesn't really matter, but it really does matter. It matters for bone health. It matters for, you know, regular cycle is, is so important for all of your body's systems. Um, you know, that being said, I never judge someone for choosing to go on the pill. I mean, I was on it myself for over 20 years um, because I didn't know better. And um, a lot of doctors present it to you as a way to um, control your cycles. Um, so I think if you do go on the pill, you need to do it with a full understanding of what that means. Um, you know, docs will put it on you to quote unquote regulate your cycles. And that is total BS because what you get with a pill is not an actual cycle. It's a synthetically produced mimicry of a cycle that lasts 28 days because that's the amount of pills in the case. It is totally arbitrary. Um, plus the bleed that you get with the pill every month is not an actual period. It's a withdrawal bleed from stopping the hormones. So the pill is kind of a band-aid and it masks the symptoms of PCOS and other hormone imbalances. But in the meantime, the underlying condition is getting worse under there. So when you do go off the pill, all those symptoms come back with a vengeance. Um, and there's actually a condition called post-birth control syndrome. 
Um, a lot of women who went on the pill young for heavy periods don't realize this um, or even know that they have PCOS yet. And then when they go off the pill in their 30s to try to get pregnant, they're kind of given a shock because they don't get a cycle for months, their facial hair starts coming back out of control, their acne comes raging back. Um, so I totally understand how convenient the pill is, but if you can avoid hormonal birth control, if at all possible, it's going to be better for you in the long run. Um, I highly recommend a book by um, Dr. Laura Bryden called The Period Repair Manual. It's super user-friendly. Um, you know, you don't need to be a doctor to understand it and it will help you get to know your cycle better and troubleshoot any problems that you're having. And there are so many other non-hormonal birth control options out there now, like condoms, diaphragms. Um, the IUD is relatively safe now, um, you know, and the fertility awareness method, which is not the same thing as the rhythm method. Um, <laughs> and if you do want to know more about that, I recommend reading a book called Taking Charge of Your Fertility, which is kind of the Bible on that, um, you will learn more than you ever wanted to know about <laughs> your cycle. <laughs> so yeah, because something that I struggle with with a lot of my patients is this idea that reconciling the, or reconciling the idea that fertility equals health, but also with the idea of not wanting to have a baby, so preventing pregnancy. But mm -hmm. most of the ways that we know of to prevent pregnancy, most of the ways that are really effective and that are more convenient to prevent pregnancy totally screw up your fertility. And like you said, this is obviously a hugely personal issue because for something like hormonal birth control, there are some people that that truly at a certain time in your life, like that is the best option. And mm -hmm. there should be, there's no shame in that. And the mm -hmm. implication, you know, there, you just may not be at a time in your life when you can think about your future health and you just need to not get pregnant right now and you don't have the means to, to get whatever other kind of birth control. Totally fine. I fully support that. I mean, if that's what, if that's what's right for you, that's great. Um, but then there are others of us who want to be, we have this thing, we want to be like optimally healthy, but we also don't want a baby. So we're left with these other options that aren't necessarily always portrayed as the best options. Um, but I do think tracking your cycle is so important and nobody, nobody does it. It's like, I, you know, one of the questions that I ask patients when I see them is when was your last period? And people are always like, ah, well, I don't know. Like, well, you need to know that. Number one, you need to know that because if you're not cycling regularly, like there's something going on. And number two, it can help you if you're not on hormonal birth control, like we need to figure out a way and you don't want to get pregnant. Like that is combined with some other, you know, a combination of methods a good way to make sure that you don't get pregnant. What thoughts or advice do you have for those who do want to maximize their health, but aren't interested in getting pregnant and maybe are on the pill or aren't sure, you know, hormonal birth control might be the best option for them or just in, in general, like for someone like myself who I'm not interested in having a baby, but I do, I do want to be optimally healthy. So do you have any thoughts or advice for people like me? So I would say that for women, it's really important to be aware of your cycle and try to honor it. Um, you know how the week after your period, you feel pretty amazing and have a ton of energy? 
like that's the time to exercise harder, be social, be productive. And then, you know, how the week before your period, you feel like a slug and you're craving carbs and sleep. Um, that's when you want to eat more complex carbs, like sweet potatoes and rice, if you eat grains during that time, um, to satisfy that physical need for more carbs so that you then don't end up binging on the cookies later. Um, and I know that you're really big on this, but sleep and rest are so important. Um, melatonin is known for its effects on sleep, but it also helps improve egg quality, which um, matters even when you're not trying to get pregnant because the egg quality is what's responsible for producing the progesterone that takes over in the second half of your cycle. Um, and you want to have, you know, healthy levels of progesterone so that you're not getting estrogen dominant symptoms like PMS and migraines and breast tenderness and all that. Um, and then, you know, here's where, as I promised, I will come out on your show <laughs> as a, a recovering vegetarian. Okay, I said it. Um, so as I mentioned before, I had not eaten meat since college. So it had been over 20 years. Um, I even tried being vegan at one point, but I was getting blood sugar crashes. So that was not for me. And I do want to encourage people to you know, really, really think about how your choices are making you feel. Um, you know, I would love to be a vegan, but like my body just does not do well on it, which I realized. So for a long time, I ate mostly vegetarian, um, but with eggs and fish. Um, dairy was always a problem for me because I have a casein allergy. Um, but when I met my boyfriend almost four years ago, dairy started to creep back into my diet in those happy little ways that happen in a relationship, like yep. ice cream and yep. pizza. So I also, I have um, asthma and pretty bad seasonal allergies and we have four cats. So like limiting my allergies burden um, is is definitely top of mind and uh, you know I, I love your, your analogy of the paper bag with the you know glass jar in the paper bag you can't see like you know I already know I have three cats sleeping on me so it's like which food that I add is going to tip that balance and overflow that jar I never really know so um, Last year, I stopped eating gluten and dairy to see if that helped with my allergies, and I instantly was about 90% better. Um, and my boyfriend has ulcerative colitis, so going gluten-free and lactose-free has been really helpful for him, too. He's actually off all of his meds now that he had wow. been on for years. Yeah. Great. Um, so when I stopped eating gluten, I started realizing I was having symptoms after eating gluten-free substitutes, um, which I wasn't eating a lot of, but I would occasionally have like a piece of gluten-free toast in the morning with my eggs. Um, and I started wondering whether corn might be an issue for me. Um, you know, I was also eating things like corn tacos when we would go out to eat because it was an easy option. Um, so I decided to try eliminating corn and I lasted about three weeks before we went to the movies. And, you know, it's a, a you know, boyfriend thing, like 
takes me to the movies and he gets popcorn. And of course I'm going to eat popcorn with him because, you know, balance. So (laughs) literally by the time I got home, I was covered in hives and, um, the whole next day, my digestive system was just a mess. So I was like, okay, I guess corn is out now too. So with no, no gluten, no dairy, no corn, no meat, um, it's just been really, really tough, especially when eating out. And then, um, I actually got my micronutrients tested earlier this year. And I have to say, I was, I was shocked by the results because I'm a dietitian, right? Like I've studied nutrition I eat really, really healthy. I eat, you know, probably eight to 10 vegetables a day. I, I do eat fish and eggs. So I wasn't too concerned about anything. Um, I came back with my B12 in the gutter, like literally in the gutter. Um, Also, you know, having now gotten the genetic testing done and realizing I have the MTHFR Mm -hmm. mutation makes more sense. And like, I, I just think that MTHFR is like a crime that folic acid is even allowed in vitamins now because, you know, in... In, in our nutrition program, Nutritional Biochem, um, we learned about MTHFR in the little module about B12, but it was never presented to us that 50% of people have some form of mutation and how damaging it can be for your cardiovascular health and also for your fertility and pregnancy outcomes. Like I just learned that MTHFR is tied to tongue tie in babies of moms with MTHFR. Yeah. So it's like a huge thing when it comes to feeding your infant. If you, you know, so MTHFR is a test I run on everyone who's looking to get pregnant. Um, If I don't know someone's MTHFR status, I always, always recommend the methylfolate or the adenosyl. cobalamin or the methylcobalamin forms of B12 as opposed to the uh, cyano. Yeah. Um, Just because, you know, your body can't process folic acid and cyanocobalamin. Um, So anyway, back to my, uh, I actually started to crave red meat. Um, So for the last couple of weeks, a couple of months, I've just been doing a little experiment on myself and I've been eating red meat once a month, once a week. And I have to say, I feel so much better. It's like an instant energy jolt. <laughs> and I also have to say, it's so filling. Like you eat just like a couple of, you know, I probably eat like four ounces at a time and I'm just like, that's enough. I feel great, you know? Um, so I, I only buy the organic grass fed. Um, the thought of poultry still completely just disgusts me, like all the tendons and the, blah. and, um, <laughs> I also think, you know, from my, my dancing and dieting days, like I totally overdid it on the like grilled chicken breasts and I just can't face another one chicken and broccoli. In, my life, in my lifetime, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm really lucky. I have friends locally who have a a bison farm. So I buy from them as well. Yeah. And I've never been into labeling how I eat. Um, I'm, you know, always kind of been an outsider in all categories, but (laughs) diet especially. Um, 
you know, but I, I understand people want to be able to fit you into a little category and they always, you know, it's like, are you a vegetarian? It's like, well, no, I eat fish and eggs. And it's like, well, are you paleo? It's like, no, sometimes I eat chickpeas and sometimes I eat quinoa. It really depends on my mood. And it's like, okay, well, what are you? I'm like, I just eat real food. Like, most of the time with the exception of, you know, the occasional coconut ice cream or <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So I think, you know, you really have to figure out what works for you personally and everybody's body is different and it may take some trial and error and what works for your friend may not work for you and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that you kind of echoed what I talked about when I talked with um, Beth from Tasty Yummies a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She was, she said very much the same thing that she was really hesitant to label herself. And, and I agree, like, I don't like to label myself, but you, like, like you just said, people want to know what you are because it's an easy way to relate to maybe the advice that you're giving them or what, like who you are. Um, so I always label myself as mostly paleo. Like that's the best. Cause I don't, I'm not paleo. I mean, I am, but I'm not like, I eat rice. I eat dairy sometimes, you know, again, whatever strikes my fancy at any given moment or whatever I feel like my body needs. But I think, I think that's really important just not to, to back yourself into a corner with a, a diet label because it might change. And there's nothing worse than being like, Hey, I'm a vegan, but now I eat red meat. That, that, you know, you label yourself and then you have to unlabel yourself and relabel yourself. And sometimes that can be pretty, pretty challenging. It's so funny because, you know, she was talking about the SEO for the Mm -hmm. blog and how it actually improves your visibility and it improves the ability of people to find you if you commit to a label like that. And it's, it's funny because I'll use hashtags on different photos I post, especially on Instagram, you know, I'll use paleo-ish sometimes, Mm -hmm. or um, I use plant-based a lot. Um, I feel like that's probably the most accurate, even, you know, cause my ba- base of my plate is, is plants. Um, yep. and then I may put some other stuff on top of that. Uh, but I do feel like if I use like the vegan hashtag, I'll get a lot of the new followers and then like they're gone the first time I post a picture of meat or fish or something. Um, and it's like, interestingly enough, you know, having a website where I post recipes, um, I do include nutritional information, mm-hmm. even though I do not recommend counting in any way your calories or macros. And the reason why I include the nutrition information is because that's the only way my recipe will get seen by Google. So when you search, you know, yep. vegan, vegan chili, um, if I don't have nutrition information, my recipe is not going to show up in Google. So it's kind of like a concession for now. Um, and I do, I do have it there. Um, you know, but I, I always tell my clients not to pay attention to it and not to count it. But what you'll notice in my recipes is that it's always a balance. You know, I always include ample protein, ample fat, because those are both so important to balancing hormones. It's funny because I actually don't really recommend counting calories or macros either. But for me personally, as an athlete, sometimes I do need that information. So I actually appreciate Mm -hmm. when it's included in recipes because there are days, I just did this yesterday where I just log everything that I eat because I'm like, why am I so hungry? Am I actually hungry? Because I, you know, I did a marathon, like, am I recovered enough? Do is it because I haven't eaten enough? So I'll I'll go through that process like once every couple of weeks just to make sure that I'm eating enough because sometimes you get so for someone who's active, if you're solely listening to your 
your signal. Sometimes those can get totally crossed. Um, I mean, I, I eat, I was probably a solid like 500 calories under where I, where I thought I should have been. And I was mm -hmm. like, I was kind of like teetering on the edge of like, am I going to get hungry? Am I going to wake up in the middle of the night and be starving? Cause that does happen. Um, so I do, I do appreciate having that, that information simply because sometimes it's a tool that I use, but as a, as a blanket recommendation, I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah. And I do have to say, um, I want to talk a little bit about my work with one of my clients because it's so typical of what I see in this case. I do do a full nutrition assessment in the first initial appointment with someone because, you know, how many doctors just tell women with PCOS just lose weight, like eat less, exercise more. And I have honestly had so many clients tell me that their doctors think that they're lying about how little they're actually eating. And, you know, I have one client who she's in her early forties. Um, she was 265 pounds. Um, she had been overweight all her life. Um, and she'd pretty much tried every diet there is only to lose a little weight and put more back on. And, um, you know, her doctor had suggested the keto diet for her and put her on it. And she followed it for a couple, a few months, but she found it really restrictive. Um, and so, can I just say that doctors prescribing keto for women with PCOS is like the bane of my existence <laughs> right now? Um, so a super low carb diet, and I know you talk about this a lot on your show, like a super low carb diet is such a bad idea for anyone with hormonal issues. Um, I actually recently wrote a blog post on this, which is on my website. Um, but anyway, I did a full nutrition assessment on this client, and she was eating two meals a day, um, and between 1,000 and 1,200 calories, and she just wasn't hungry. Um, and that's not enough to sustain or fuel an 80-pound person, let alone a full-grown woman. You know, I also found out she was only pooping two or three times a week. Um, so when your body gets rid of hormones, it's a two-step process. And the first step happens in the liver where it packages the hormones up for removal. And then the gut is what actually gets rid of the hormones. Um, so if you're not pooping daily, those hormones sitting in your gut actually get repackaged into more toxic forms that recirculate. So that's a huge, huge issue. You've got to be pooping every single day. Um, so with her, I did a few things. I, I got her eating more. Um, and earlier in the day, because she hadn't been eating breakfast, she was one of those classic, you know, coffee for breakfast people. Um, coffee with Metamucil was her, her oh. thing. And I was like, oh, let's... <laughs> Yeah, so um, we worked on uh, hunger and fullness signals a lot because, you know, decades of dieting had just put her really out of touch with her body's own signals. Um, I also got her to add protein to every meal and snack to help with the blood sugar balance. I added ground flax seeds in the morning instead of that Metamucil, and I gave her some magnesium at night to get her pooping. Um, I added in some specific supplements to help her blood sugar balance. So with her, we did inositol twice a day, which is generally most women with PCOS should take inositol. There's a lot of really good research on it. Um, and then I did a combination product with her with berberine and chromium um, because her insulin level was really, really high. 
um, and her A1C was high as well. You know, that's berberine is one. If you read it on the internet, do not take it without being under the care of a practitioner, especially if you are trying to get pregnant because it is not safe during pregnancy. So you want to be really, really careful to work with someone when you're taking that and make sure that, you know, you're monitoring your insulin levels and your blood, blood glucose levels, and you're not actually going to push yourself into hypoglycemia. Right. Um, so we actually worked on a lot of lifestyle stuff to support her adrenals. Um, she wasn't an exerciser, but I got her to take start taking gentle nature walks. It's like, don't think of it as exercise. Just go out and breathe some air for a little while. Um, we added in some cycle-specific herbs and nutrients. She was having really painful periods and PMDD as well. Mm-hmm. So things like extra magnesium the week before for her period, B6 and ginger, red raspberry leaf tea, cramp bark, things like that. And again, these are all things you want to be taking under the care of a practitioner. Um, We added fish oil and vitamin D to help with her inflammation. Um, And one other thing about this client, and I, I, you know, say this just because everybody is an individual and she ate gluten and dairy the entire time time um, that she worked with me. And her genetic background is Northern European, like, you know, Belgium and England. And so, you know, her people have been drinking milk for a long time. So, (laughs) um, and it's also, it's such a great high protein option, especially for snacks. It's so easy to tell someone just have a cheese stick or have some cottage cheese. Um, And then she was really hesitant to remove gluten. So um, I ran thyroid testing on her. And although her overall thyroid hormones were low, um, she did not have any antibodies. So I was not worried about any autoimmune process going on with her. So I didn't want to take away her gluten. She wasn't eating a lot. She was having, you know, maybe a sandwich every couple of days. Um, And then, you know, when her doctor checked her, she had actually lost 15 pounds without trying. She was eating more than she was before she saw me and her vitamin D levels were going up. So I think, you know, she's a really good example of what can happen when doctors tell women to just eat less and exercise more without doing any sort of assessment on what they're actually doing or eating. Um, So, you know, there's really no typical PCOS case um, and there's no typical PCOS treatment. It's really working with each person where they're at and improving their symptoms by, you know, getting at those underlying causes of the insulin resistance and the systemic inflammation and the hormone imbalances. Yeah. I don't think I've ever told a client to eat less. I think I tell probably close to 100% of the people that I work with that they need to be eating more, which is the look on their face when you're like, you're not eating enough. And they're, they're just, it's, it's hard for people to understand because it's been so ingrained in us that 1200 calories is what you need for weight loss and less is better. And it's just, that's so not true. People are always shocked when they start eating more and they're like, I lost five pounds. I'm like, I knew, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah, people, especially um, fertility clients, like that's probably the most common cause. And I think, you know, one of the things I didn't mention that you want to get ruled out for, but if you're not ovulating and you're not cycling regularly, um, hypothalamic amenorrhea is is a major cause of that. And it's often, often the root cause is from a history of of dieting or restricted eating. Um, It's funny, I have... um, 
I have software where I track clients' food. It's basically like Instagram. They just take a picture and send it to me and then I comment on it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're surprised by the types of comments I, I give them back. But like, you know, one, one client had sent me a picture of her little hand with, um, I think there were like four or five macadamia nuts in it. And she's like, snack. And I was like, that nope. is not a, that is not a snack. <laughs> like <laughs> quadruple that. Yeah, add I was going to say quadruple it. Add an apple on the side. Like, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. and especially, I mean, especially if people are exercising at all. I mean, and I have a I have a patient who is a really avid biker, and she was terrified of, so she has some thyroid issues and she was terrified of gaining weight back. So she got her thyroid pretty well under control and lost a bunch of weight. She still has a few pounds that she'd like to lose. So this idea of eating more to her was just like, I'm going to gain weight. And I, I was like, you are biking. I mean, she's like biking hundred milers. And I'm like, you are, you're not, she told, when we talked about what she ate, I was like, I can almost guarantee you that you're eating maybe 1300 calories a day if you're lucky and you're burning like probably what, 3,000, 5,000 calories on a bike ride, depending on how hard you're working. So you need to eat, you need to like quadruple what you're eating. And she was like, okay, like, I don't know. So we've got, you know, this plan to sort of like gradually increase it. Cause she just can't, which, I mean, it's a good idea not to just go from 1200 to 2500 <laughs> calories. Your body is going to be like, what the heck? But she was like, I just, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around this. And I was like, I understand, but I think I have never had somebody gain weight unnecessarily when I told them that they needed to eat more and in people who are trying to lose weight. Granted, it should be the right foods. Like you can't go out and eat cake and, you know, a bunch of, you know, baked goods or whatever and expect for that to happen for it to be the same thing. But you're probably not eating enough. Most people probably aren't eating enough. Yeah. It's really funny. So my boyfriend coaches basketball, high school basketball. Um, so like once or twice a year, I'll go in and I'll talk to the boys like about their, you know, optimal fueling for, you know, pregame. Um, I'm about to go in and talk to them about off season nutrition because now's the time when they should be, you know, beer fat (laughs) they put on over the summer. Um, but it's just so different because, you know, in my practice, I normally see women, you know, from their late twenties to their sixties, um, and the needs of a 16 to 17 year old high school boy who's an athlete are just so vastly different. It's so great. It's freeing to be able to tell them like, you need to eat 5,000 calories a day. Great. Yeah. Eat whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. They're, actually, the, um, the head coach was shocked because I told them to eat candy before the, you know, during, mm-hmm. um, I want to call it intermission because I come from a dance. <laughs> but during halftime, you know, they were they, they were slagging during halftime um, after the holidays, and I was like, "You want to, you know, have some gummy bears, have some sour patch kids?" Like, I almost said backstage, like in the lock <laughs> in the locker room, you know. Um, and the coach was just shocked, and I'm like, "Well, you're a 60 year old man. Like, of course you shouldn't be eating extra candy, but like these boys, it's like a quick energy source for them. It's like their cells are just sopping it up as soon as they put it in. It's no problem. (laughs) Oh, to be a 16 year old boy. I know. (laughs) Yeah, I know. 
So we did um, have a reader question that is um, specifically about PCOS. And the question was, is there any actual effective treatment or prevention of hirsutism, which as you mentioned earlier was, um, for those who don't know, is that male pattern <clears throat> hair growth in women. So facial hair, um, just facial hair it's sometimes like those long wiry yeah, black like, hairs like around your nipples and your chin um right. on your toes like um you know some of that is genetic um but a lot of that is caused by the androgens um and uh yeah so this one's a toughie but yes um so there are herbs and supplements that help lower androgens and improve hirsutism um the two that i recommend most frequently um and the first one's great because it's so easy is a spearmint tea like a real spear pure spearmint tea you want to mm -hmm. make sure it's not like mint medley or mm -hmm peppermint, um, get the spearmint. Uh, traditional medicinals actually makes a nice one. Um, and saw palmetto. Um, that's a, saw palmetto is when you want to work with a practitioner on. Um, however, these take a long time to work. Um, you know, the, the hair and the root and the follicle are in place and it takes a while to starve them of the hormones and, and then have the, that hair growth pattern get to the point where it falls out and then does not regrow a new hair. Um, so you have to be really consistent um, with these anti-androgen therapies for, um, you know, up to, it can take up to a year before you start to see results. You'll, what probably happens and what's most likely is that you won't see any new growth, but the hair that is there already is not going to just disappear overnight because you started drinking spearmint tea, unfortunately. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. It is pleasant though. It's, it's a, it's a nice pleasant thing to do. You yeah. know, an iced spearmint tea is nice. That sounds lovely. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap it up here, can you maybe give us the top three things that women can do to balance their hormones and maximize their fertility, even if they don't want to have a baby? Yeah. So we have not talked about this at all yet, but I know that you talk about this a lot on your show. Um, so you do have to watch your exposure to hormones and hormone disruptors. So you want to get rid of all the plastic storage in your kitchen and switch it all up to glass or stainless steel. Uh, you want to clean up your beauty routine, get out all those endocrine disrupting chemicals. You want to reduce your um, overall chemical exposure in your cleaning products and your food. Um, avoid processed crap and eat organic <laughs> and grass-fed if you can. So um, that's really the first one is all those environmental toxins. Uh, the second one is lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. Um, you need to get enough sleep, reduce your stress, um, if given the chance, your hormones will actually balance themselves out without any intervention. Um, it's really hard when I have a client who's like doing shift work or, you know, sleeping, you know, four to six hours a night and they really want to have a baby. And it's just like, well, how badly do you want to have the baby? Like, like you really need to make some lifestyle changes if that's what you actually want. Um, because, you know, otherwise you're going to have to go down that artificial fertility route of the stimulating medications and all that. Um, 
So that's that. And then um, the third thing that I recommend is increasing the number of plants that you eat. So eight to 10 servings a day of vibrant, colorful, living foods. Um, that's going to give you the widest variety of phytonutrients and antioxidants. And while you're at it, you want to be eating enough protein to keep your blood sugar stable. And you want to be eating enough fat to actually be able to produce the hormones that you need. Fat is your friend. Fat is your friend. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's so funny. Uh, one of, I have a, a group on Facebook, a PCOS nutrition support group. And um, I have, I have a woman in there who's a, a long-term dieter. And she had asked me the other day about, you know, is cheese okay for weight loss? And I said, well, you know, or, you know, would cheese slow weight loss? And I said, you know, it shouldn't provided that you aren't, intolerant, you know, can tolerate dairy okay. And I said, but, I, but you want to make sure you're eating the full fat cheese. And she's like, but you know, isn't, isn't low fat cheese better for you? Cause it has less fat and calories and like not for fertility and hormones. Like, you know, all the research right now is, is showing that full fat dairy um, is better for, for fertility outcomes for yeah. women trying to get pregnant. You know, because when they take the fat out of the dairy, um, it takes away all the female hormones, but it actually leaves the androgens behind. So in someone with PCOS, you're just adding the androgens without even getting those female hormones to balance it out. So um, yeah, you want the full fat dairy. I wish I could have full fat dairy, but I, I sadly just can't. I will be jealous. But. Well, and I'm morally opposed to paying for as I, so I've just started experimenting with lactose-free milk because I think that I'm sensitive. I don't think it's casein. I think it's lactose. Um, so I've been experimenting with lactose-free milk. So I've been getting the like super high quality grass-fed whole milk lactose-free. And my boyfriend was at Costco a couple weeks ago. He's like, do you know they have lactose-free milk here? And I was like, but is it whole milk? And he's like, no, it's 2%. And I was like, no dice. Like I refuse to pay for watered down milk. I refuse. <laughs> so I just, the fat part is so, that's kind of a non-negotiable for me anyway. Yeah, I actually do use, um, because it's the casein that I'm allergic to, yeah. so cheese is out, but I do use grass-fed butter in my cooking regularly. Yeah, so that's so good for you too. Tons of vitamins mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. All right, I think that is it for this week. Melissa, thank you so much for being here today. This was super fun, and I hope that our listeners learned a lot. I know I learned a few things. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Absolutely. Um, so you can find me on my website at www.avocadogrovenutrition.com. I have a ton of articles about PCOS and I also post recipes there. Um, if you want to find me on social media, I am most active on Instagram and that is avocado underscore grove underscore nutrition. Um, and I do have a free download of 100 snack ideas for PCOS available on my website that I put together of um, snacks to balance your blood sugar. So if you just go to my website, you'll see the link for that as well. Awesome. Thank I you will, so much. Yeah, I will link to all those ways that people can find you. Um, and those will be in the show notes, which are available at marthaflorence.com slash episode 27. And as always, if you enjoy this show, I would love it if you would have, head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review 
or if you know somebody that would find this information useful, it would be great if you could share this episode with them. Melissa, thanks again for being here and everybody else. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.